welcome to Healthcare Du Jour, where we dish up and digest the latest in healthcare. For the next 30 minutes, sit back as we bring you insight, commentary, and discussion on trending topics to the table, all expertly served up by our host and his guests. Healthcare Du Jour is brought to you by Carium, the telehealth platform enabling healthcare's digital transformation, helping you care for people within the fabric of their daily lives. Now here's your host, Matt Fisher. Welcome back, and thank you for joining as we dive into the hottest topics in healthcare. I'm your host, Matt Fisher. On the menu today is Dr. Mohamed Saeed, CMO at Health at Scale. Dr. Saeed, welcome to the show. Thank you, Matt. Good to be here. So, Dr. Saeed, what I always like to do before getting into the main part of uh, the discussion is to give my guests more of a chance to provide an introduction in terms of who they are and what they do. So, the floor is yours. Great. Thank you. So, uh, you know, as mentioned, I'm the chief medical officer and uh, also co-founder of Health at Scale. Uh, in terms of my background, um, you know, it goes way back. Uh, I uh, finished my uh, MD at Harvard Medical School, uh, PhD in electrical, electrical engineering and computer sciences at MIT with a focus on machine learning and data analytics for improving healthcare. Um, and I also spent some time working in industry. And uh, afterwards, actually uh, came to University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, uh, where uh, I finished my postgraduate training in cardiovascular medicine and clinical cardiac electrophysiology. So uh, in addition to what I do at Health at Scale, I'm also a uh, cardiologist at University of Michigan, uh, where I practice clinically uh, and also work at the Ann Arbor VA Hospital. So, you know, I think it's very important for somebody who's trying to focus on improving healthcare delivery to also be in the trenches. And that's exactly where I feel I'm, you know, best positioned to do that, uh, actually taking care of patients, hospitals, and, uh, you know, thinking about it from also a clinical and research perspective and, you know, trying to improve the delivery platforms. It kind of knowing the amount of time that you need to invest in, you know, all those different roles that you were talking about, how do you find the balance to be working on, you know, kind of the, the startup innovative concept idea as well as that, still practicing clinically? You know, it's a challenge, but I, I think it's an advantage. Uh, that's because uh, when we see the problems uh, health at scale, um, they really hit home because I'm actually living those problems as a physician. And so when I uh, look at the patients that I have to make decisions on and try to help them improve their quality of life and their outcomes, I really have in mind what what we can we do better today with uh, our existing technology platforms and really move us into the future so that our patients are served better and uh, we develop more sustainable uh system, you know, that basically is trying to, right now, it's uh, very much, you know, mushrooming healthcare costs uh, that are a, a big uh, stress on the healthcare, on the entire U.S. economy. So um, seeing that from a physician's perspective allows me to think of that also much more as a chief medical officer at the company. So when you're thinking about the kind of the company and the innovation perspective, you know, what, what challenges are you trying to tackle primarily right now? So, you know, health of scale, you know, we basically, uh, so, so we were founded in 2015 um, and we really focused on it from a uh, machine learning uh, intelligence platform perspective. So um, we uh, developed our own highly uh, differentiated uh, machine learning uh, algorithms that were specifically designed for challenging some of the biggest problems in healthcare delivery. And uh, in order to do that, uh, we've been working, partnering with uh, major payers. Uh, we also work with uh, employer systems. 
uh, you know, who are tasked with taking care of their employees in terms of their healthcare benefits. Um, we also work with um, provider organizations as well. Um, and the, the way that we do that is we have built a software as a service platform. So it ingests healthcare data and then uh, provides, you know, very meaningful um, decision support uh, at the output. So some of the types of problems that we tackle would be, for example, um, on the navigation front, uh, trying to identify who is the right provider for a specific patient at a specific time and do it in a very personalized way so that uh, two patients or two, two folks living right across the street from one another who are looking for an orthopedic surgeon uh, in the same geography may get two very different recommendations based upon their specialized needs as in, and personalized needs. So we can ingest the uh, healthcare claims data, for example, and provide uh, you know, that navigation decision support for members and finding providers. Um, other types of things we look at are looking at uh, healthcare data and identifying those patients who are at risk for having a deterioration in their healthcare over time and try to find those folks early on when interventions are most effective in getting better outcomes and not waiting for them to be, uh, as we say in uh, medical jargon, train wrecks, where it becomes very difficult to take care of them. And then finally, we also use our machine learning platform to identify low value care, waste and abuse uh, in healthcare spend so that we can, again, try to get control on costs and also um, help patients by um, preventing unnecessary services that could, in fact, even do harm to them. That, that, that's a lot to unpack there, and uh, we'll see how much, of we, how much of it we can really get into um, and give, give folks a flavor. But kind of the, the navigation one sounds very intriguing. Um, you know, I know you kind of gave one example of you know, assessing the claims data that's coming in and helping to provide that personalized recommendation. But can you talk a little bit more about you know kind of what goes into it, and then you know what are you know, maybe some of the primary factors that you would look at? Because my sense is when you're going to find a physician or other or other clinician, oftentimes it's you just pick whoever is available or whoever is recommended, whether it be by your current clinician or by a family or friend. Right. So it's a great question, um, and I think we have to look at it from the perspective of how do we get to know the patient or the member, and how do we get to know and understand the provider? Um, from the patient perspective, you know, healthcare claims data and EMR data is very clinically rich information. It can tell us things like what kind of medicines you're on, what kind of healthcare encounters you've had what types of specialists you've seen, what types of chronic diseases you have. And it's actually can be very impactful in, in helping us understand, or what we'd say, phenotype. Who is this individual seeking care? And what makes them different from other individuals? On the provider perspective, you can look at uh, claims data uh, in terms of what kind of patients has that provider taken care of in the past? and look at their outcomes. And this is, I think, one of the big differentiators between what we do at Health of Scale and other uh, types of platforms is we try to answer the question, which provider 
will give me the best outcome based on his or her experience in taking care of patients like me. So to answer that question, we have to figure out what makes you like somebody else or different from somebody else. And then we also have to have the answer to what is the experience of that provider? So uh, if, is it an orthopedic surgeon taking care of very complex Medicare patients who have multiple comorbidities like diabetes, hypertension, a history of stroke and smoking and COPD? Or is it an orthopedic surgeon who is working primarily with high-performance athletes who are in their 20s and 30s? Both types of patients represent different types of challenges. Um, in order to identify that, you have to build an algorithm that can actually look at that types of claims data and come up with a predictive model and say that based on how this provider has done on prior patients, this is the likely outcome that you will have if you go to this provider as the patient you as the provider you've selected. So it's a provider model, and then there's also understanding the patient. Um, and again, it's not just about, you know, when you look at what do people do today, there are various types of rankings, uh, you know, various consumer uh, journals and uh, popular publications have rankings of doctors. Those are sort of one size fits all solutions saying this guy is a great doctor. This guy is not so great doctor. We look at it more about is this guy the right or this doctor the right match for you? So if he or she has done great on patients like you, then they may be appropriate for you, whereas they may not be the best match for your neighbor down the street looking for the same type of specialist. Yeah, no, it definitely sounds a lot like you're talking about getting into you know, the details on both sides, as you're saying, not you know the patient side and the clinician side. So that way you're, you're matching the similar backgrounds as opposed to, yes, I think, as you said, one physician could be top notch when it comes to a certain pa patient population, but maybe because they're so focused on that type of population, they're not used to working with someone who doesn't fall into the same parameters. Exactly. And therein also comes what we call the small data problem. So it turns out when you look at a provider, you actually don't have massive amounts of data to actually create a great model using traditional statistical approaches, approaches for his or her performance. Because for example, the number of knee replacements that a typical orthopedic surgeon does in a year may vary greatly from a few dozen to you know over a couple hundred. But uh, how do you build models that can only use very small amounts of data to make accurate predictions? So simply taking the mean and average or a median or some other types of statistical approaches won't work. Uh, that's why we really put our you know, uh, brains together at Health at Scale and came up with what we call small data machine learning uh, algorithms that can actually work on these small data sets, yet provide robust predictions that can help members and patients pick the right providers. Yeah, no, that's a great point because as you said, there, you know, as you keep getting more granular or looking to provide more specific matches, I, you know, kind of as you were saying, it would kind of intuitively make sense that there's going to be limited amounts of data available since, you know, maybe there aren't too many people who fit into a particular category or just, you know, there's only so many types of procedures that can be performed in a year or in, in a given period of time that you're looking at. 
Exactly. It is not an easy problem. And I think that's why we've taken a lot of pride in putting together the right team to tackle that, that problem. You know, for example, um, one of our co-founders, uh, John Guttag, uh, was the uh, chairman of computer science at MIT and a world-renowned computer scientist and machine learning expert in healthcare and has, you know, been the mentor to some of the, you know, the, the, the biggest folks out there in machine learning. Uh, our CEO, Zishan Sayed, also uh, is a PhD uh, from MIT, spent time at Google Life Sciences and thought about that problem both from an academic perspective at MIT and as a tenured professor at uh University of Michigan, and also at Google, and, you know, very brilliant folks work, I I get the privilege to work with, and it's that passion and their intellect that they bring to the problems uh, and trying to solve these problems that really allow us to come up with these differentiated solutions. Yeah, no, kind of as you're saying, like having the the passion, you know, being able to combine the passion along with the, the understanding and the knowledge can really enable driving forward because it's, you know, if it just seems like, oh, this might be a great idea and I'll try to work on it, you're not going to de- dedicate the same time or personal resources to trying to solve it because you don't feel that innate connection to it. Correct. And I think, you know, on top of all that, it's critical to understand the use models. I think, you know, uh, machine learning and analytics has become really a sexy term to throw out there, but what is most important is not only building these algorithms, but understanding the use models and how they'll actually be deployed in the real world and used by end users, be they consumers as patients or by um, payers or employers. Um, and understanding how to deliver information at the right time to the decision makers uh, to make those decisions to improve healthcare outcomes. You know, that's that's a very great point. And for those of you just joining, I'm talking with Dr. Mohammed Saeed of Health at Scale. We've been talking about care navigation and kind of the last point that you just made about you know, being able to deliver the right information at the right time leads me into you know the next kind of area that I want to be able to dive into, which is another one of the I think the pillars that you're talking about that you've been trying to address, um, you know, which yeah, I think you've kind of phrased it as identifying a risk of deterioration along with being able to deliver, you know, care proactively. You know, so kind of, if you can help walk me through what that, you know, what that aspect looks like and how are you trying to predict in advance, you know, what might happen with a patient so you can, it sounds like hopefully keep them in a healthier state as opposed to waiting until, you know, something potentially adverse has occurred. Right. So, Again, the idea here is to what we try to focus on is what we call the rising risk population, not the people who've already had massive overutilization so much in healthcare. Now, we we can certainly also, our our tools also are very helpful for those folks as well. But the area that we truly differentiate ourselves is with looking at the rising risk. And these are folks who, for example, may have um, an average healthcare spend, over a couple of years. So, you know, in the thousands of dollars, perhaps. Um, and um, as these types of folks may also have underlying chronic diseases, such as diabetes or high blood pressure or depression or other types of um, musculoskeletal chronic pain problems, for example, but they're not on the right care paths. So, for example, they're, you know, I'll give you a, a real life example. You know, we were working with one uh, employer where we saw a patient 
who had all sorts of, or you know, an employee uh, at that time who had all sorts of chronic diseases like diabetes, uh, coronary artery disease, high blood pressure. But then when you look at the medicines they're on and you look at their risk profile, these the, this particular employee was at a very high risk of having adverse events. And we actually flagged him uh, six months ahead of time saying this employee needs uh, immediate attention. You know, if you look at over the past year, their spend was about $10,000. Well, what happened to that employee? That employee had multiple hospitalizations in the next year, had a stroke, had um, a heart attacks or myocardial infarction, as we say as cardiologists, um, and had a great number of debilitating complications after that. And so their costs went from $10,000 a year to $250,000 a year. And that's, that's that jump. If you can find that type of employee early on and be very proactive in intervening and identifying, you got to get you on the right medicines. You got to see the right specialist. You have to have the right type of rehab. Imagine how much you can avoid in unnecessary costs, but more importantly is uh, the total deterioration in quality of life of that employee. You know, the, those hospitalizations and their uh, ability to work long-term after that is seriously in jeopardy after that. It seems like identifying is obviously a key first step, but then you know, what goes into you know, driving you know, some of the more effective interventions? Because you know, I suspect a challenge might be saying, you know, as you're just with that example, pointing out, even though you could see all those risk factors, the spend wasn't, you know, comparatively was kind of low. But if you try to intervene, then you're obviously going to be having to spend some resources. You know, so how do you convince to spend those interventional resources as opposed to just saying, well, maybe what you're predicting won't actually come to pass and I'll still stay at this lower spend level? Great question. So this is, again, where we've used our machine learning platform to, you know, we've looked at over 150 million lives of longitudinal data. And with our machine learning, we can actually identify what types of interventions are likely to lead to better outcomes. So we can look at those types of interventions that are in high-risk patients likely to lead better outcomes. And on top of that, you know, our team is not just machine learning scientists and engineers. We also have a really top-notch group of clinicians, including other physicians, nurse practitioners, and nurses. And together, we've actually built a very useful clinical knowledge base. So we basically um, take, uh, we augment our machine learning with our clinical knowledge bases that are based on, uh, you know, the, the most up-to-date guidelines and things like that. So when our machine learning identifies a high-risk patient, um, we, we go a step beyond just identifying a patient saying they're high risk. We say that they are high risk. Here's the reason why we think they're high risk. And here are the potential likely interventions or gaps that they have that are likely to be the most effective in uh, uh, correcting their trajectory so that they don't have these types of you know, serious hospitalizations down the road. Yeah, no, it, it kind of, I think, as you said, being able to combine all those different elements certainly makes it more impactful because you know, if you only get one or two pieces of the information, you're left kind of wondering, where do I go from here? Whereas if you kind of get the full package, then you actually have an action plan that can be followed. Exactly, exactly. And again, it's, the key is finding those folks early on. 
uh, interventions are much more likely to be effective. You know, they've done these studies where they've looked at, you know, uh, what they call hotspotting, where they looked at people who've had already, who are massive overutilizers. So these are folks who've had multiple hospitalizations and have very uh, serious end-stage multiple chronic comorbidities. And when they threw lots of resources at those kind of folks uh, in these types of trials, they actually found very little effect in changing their trajectories. The key is finding those patients early. It's not very easy to find those patients because the noise, because such inherently noisy data. And that's where building uh, and having a machine learning platform that can actually find that signal in the noise uh, is very advantageous. Yeah, kind of picking up at that point that you just made of, you know, that there being a lot of noise and needing to narrow in and on particular signals, are there you know, kind of key signals that you're often looking for, or is that variable a lot by patient? It does vary a lot by patient, um, but you know, this is again one of the things where um, you know we've decided to focus as a company purely on healthcare. So we understand healthcare data. We understand how to clean it up. We understand how to glue it together because you get often data from different sources. That data can sometimes be conflicting. It can be contradictory. It can be redundant can have missing data. How do you piece that all together? Not only requires machine learning, but it requires healthcare data engineering. That requires a very strong collaboration between machine learning scientists who have background in healthcare, as well as clinicians. And piecing that data together and identifying for patient A versus patient B, or, or what is the true signal in that data, uh, is one of the things that you know we take great pride in as well. And kind of as you're sifting through that data, you know, I guess kind of how far in advance are you able to predict when potentially, you know, more adverse outcomes could start presenting and, you know, and kind of thinking of along those lines, you know, like leading into how much lead time does that give to hopefully intervene and reduce the, the possibility, if not completely eliminate the, the possibility of, you know, the predicted outcomes occurring. You know, we, we've, we built our algorithms to have at least six months uh, heads up so that we could identify that this patient, you know, likely over the next six months is going to have deterioration and have, for example, um, hospitalizations and ER visits for, you know, pre likely preventable problems. Yeah, and then kind of, I guess, also then transitioning, you know, into, you know, as you're talking about providing the um, recommendations on the care to provide. You know, how does that then feed into identifying and hopefully reducing the amount of your know, kind of low value care that you were mentioning up front that also kind of leads into the broader category of fraud, waste, and abuse that you know low value care seems to often be lumped under? Yeah. Well, it's a great question. And again, this is an understanding the patient, understanding the provider, understanding the time and setting. You know, when we talk when folks talk about value-based care. Uh, and understand what's high value and low value, you really, really need to understand those four factors, the patient, the provider, the time and setting. Um, and by understanding those, you can guide uh, patients to get high value care, and you could also help them address low value care. Um, and when we talk about low value care, we're talking about both diagnostic as well as therapeutic uh, procedures um, or testing that um, basically is 
unlikely to provide much benefit to the patient. It's going to contribute to healthcare costs. And the worst possible aspect of all that, of course, is that it can also lead to uh, a cascade of further downstream testing, procedures, potential complications, and, you know, increased morbidity and mortality for folks. So, again, it's understanding the appropriateness using machine learning and understanding the patient from a personalized perspective. Does this patient likely need this diagnostic test? Or does this patient likely going to benefit from this kind of procedure? Uh, as a cardiologist, I see this all the time. You know, sometimes we have these folks who come to us with different types of arrhythmias. And um, I know for certain folks that depending on how long a patient has had an arrhythmia or an irregular heart rhythm, uh, a procedure may not be as effective. Now, other doctors may disagree with me on that, but we take an unbiased approach by using machine learning and actually looking at the data and then predicting the level of effectiveness of a treatment and saying whether this treatment is going to be low value or high value for this patient at this particular time. Yeah, and kind of as you're talking about it, you know, again, you're talking about a pretty personalized approach of looking at a particular patient. But you know, some folks might be familiar with, and, and I can't remember the organization that does it, but they keep identifying you know, the top five or so low value services that the evidence doesn't necessarily even support anymore. You know, so is it a combination of looking at that and the personalization or do you more heavily focus on the personalization because potentially something on that, you know, identified low value list, maybe it will be effective for this, you know, you know, one certain individual. I mean, we certainly look at those types of things. You know, one of our uh, advisors is Mark Fendrick, who is the uh, head of the Value-Based Insurance Design Center, University of Michigan, and a member of Institute of Medicine. So, uh, you know, one of the giants and pillars of the community in, in, in understanding uh, value-based medicine and low-value care. And certainly we look at those kind of things. Uh, but on top of that, we can use machine learning to uh, identify other types of low-value care or unnecessary care that... Uh, traditional rules-based systems would miss. Uh, and it's almost difficult even for me to even craft a rule a priori about that. I'll give you an example. We are, Our machine learning platform picked out a certain uh, diagnostic procedure, which was a treadmill stress test. You've heard of, you know, when people put you on the treadmill and do a stress test on you. But the coding and the, the test was for a treadmill stress test for a wheelchair-bound patient. Because you wouldn't know that from the test, but when you look at everything about the patient, you, you know other things that the patient has a wheelchair and is wheelchair-bound. So, for example, how are you supposed to get much value out of a treadmill stress test on a wheelchair-bound patient? Now, looking at it retrospectively, of course, I should have just designed a rule saying wheelchair-bound patients should not get treadmill stress tests. But that's the, the the fascinating thing about the machine learning is that it actually picked that out as an anomaly and saying, you should take a closer look at this. Does this, does this patient really need, uh, does this wheelchair-bound patient really need a treadmill stress test? Yeah, no, that, that's a pretty, you know, probably an outlier example, but, you know, one that shows that, you know, I suspect things like that happen a lot more than you might expect. And, you know, unfortunately, believe it or not, we're already out of time, but I think that's a great kind of takeaway of thinking about, you know, what low value can mean and how it ties into the broader discussion. 
Um, but I want to thank my guest, Dr. Mohammed Saeed, for a great conversation today. Thank you, man. It was a pleasure chatting with you as well. And thank you to everyone listening. Keep the dialogue going and connect with me at hashtag HCDEJURE. I'm Matt Fisher. Until next time. Thank you.